When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where I don't have Jordan Peterson flying in to record this today, unlike my fellow Austin podcaster, Joe Rogan. Um, But I hope that the people that have flown in, Timothy and Titus, um, inspire you and encourage you today. Um, It's pretty cool being a small-time podcaster um, with about 40 views. We have about 40 listens every episode, about 40 solid. So I'm going to thank the 40 strong, solid listeners that listen every day. You guys are amazing, and I'm so thankful for you. The, every church in the world disagrees on how to be governed, um, the government structure. There isn't really a, um, there isn't really one way spelled out in the New Testament for how Jesus wanted his church to be governed. He didn't leave a manual or detailed description of how everything was going to go. What he did make clear was that his apostles which included not just men, not just the 12, but but several others, many others, that they would be the leaders of the church and would carry his message and his blessing out into the world. And they did. we actually get to see a glimpse of how that worked in the stories and the, the letters between Paul and Timothy and Titus. These are called the pastoral epistles. And Paul wrote... These to his mentees, Paul or Timothy and Titus. Um, we know more about Timothy than we do about Titus. We know that Timothy had a Christian mother and a Christian grandmother. And delightfully, we know their names, Eunice and Lois. Um, we don't know as much about uh, Titus. But we know that Timothy's faith was uh, passed down to him in, in this way. Um, that they were the ones to evangelize Timothy. We don't often think of our kids as uh, targets of evangelism in the in a negative way. Um, often uh, evangelism is seen as a coercive kind of thing, manipulative perhaps, guilt tripping, scaring someone with hell. Uh, not sure all the ways it's applied or you've experienced it. But ultimately, evangelism is good news, or should be good news. If it's not good news to the poor, it's not good news, as we learned last Sunday. And if it's not good news to little children, it's really not good news. And the little children that live with us often for a part of their lives, um, they are also people that we have to share good news with. And that is hard to do when you live together in a family. Um, It's hard to know what is being passed on. And most of the things that are passed down from generation to generation are caught, not taught as much. Um, And yet the stories of Jesus are something that Timothy picked up from Lois and his grandmother, um, or his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois. And when you think about the timing of this, um, if Paul is writing at the end of his life, He's writing from prison, 
his final imprisonment in Rome. He's writing this final letter, 2 Timothy. He's probably writing in the 60s AD. Uh, and the 60s, you know, are about 30 years after Jesus is crucified and rises from the dead. So we're talking about in 30 years, you have this multi-generational transmission of the Christian story. You already see the settling down of Christianity in some ways. Settling down in that it's not just a message that is spread through the marketplace or through colleagues that work together or people that live together or however they're communing, but it's spread through families. Um, And this creates kind of a problem for Christianity. Uh, If you grow up as a Christian in a Christian home and you grow up there, like, what do you need to do to convert? Um, Baptism is still laid out as the path to discipleship following Jesus. Um, But when you have little babies and little kids that are growing up, this is where the practice of baptizing babies seems to have started right away. It's very early, um, the practice of baptizing babies who are part of a Christian household. Um, And they would have baptized everybody in that household. So Timothy likely was baptized maybe as a, as a baby, maybe as older. It's hard to know. It doesn't say. But he's one of those household converts that happened right away in the, in the early days of Christianity. And are actually most of the way that people become Christian today. Um, most of us have a Christian parent that passes the faith down onto us. So it's a little fuzzy our conversion. If, you've, if you were converted this way, your conversion is a little fuzzy. You're not quite sure if you ever crossed the line from unbelief to belief, or if you lived a life of rejection and rebellion against God and then suddenly switch sides to follow Jesus. Um, that line is real fuzzy if you grew up in a, in a Christian family. And yet, Timothy still has to do all the stuff that every other Christian convert does. And that is to wake up every day and do what God has called him to do. And that is true no matter how we come to the faith. And that is what Paul is urging him to do. And he knows Timothy's weaknesses. So we can see a little bit of Timothy's personality in the kind of stuff that Paul says to him. He knows that Timothy is a little a little scared and a little timid, timid, Timothy. Um, I think Timothy literally means the manly one, or is that Andrew? I get my names mixed up. But um, he says, I laid hands on you through ordination. The holy orders of the apostles is passed down. Um, We can see in this first generation of church leaders. And I laid hands on you, and I want to rekindle that gift. He knows that Timothy is probably at the stage of his work where he's getting discouraged, which is like right after that first stage for everything. There's the stage of discouragement of, boy, this doesn't seem to be working the way I kind of dreamed it would. And so he says, God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. This combination of power and love and self-discipline is a really odd combination to meet in the wild. If you've ever met someone who had power, love, and self-discipline, all those three things working together, 
That's pretty amazing. And Paul knows that Timothy has this and is capable of it. And so he encourages that spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, to give him power, to give him love, and to give him self-discipline. We are often met with people who have a lot of power, but a very little love and very little self-discipline. Some of the smartest people that are public figures, pundits, podcasters, TV personalities, have a lot of power, personal power, charisma, but a very little love and probably even less self-discipline. And there are people with lots of love, but have no power and have very little self-discipline. And there's people with lots of self-discipline, but absolutely no love and certainly no power because nobody wants to be following them. So this combination is really the call that Christian leaders should have, power, love, and self-discipline. And it's something that not all of us have. Timothy didn't have it. Paul had to pray that he would have it. So it's not something that we all just have automatically. It is something that is a gift from God, from the Spirit of God. And it's relying on God's power that is the ultimate power. And then Titus. Titus is, gets the island assignment to Crete. Crete is, at this point, uh, a failed state. It is a, a, what we might consider a place <laughs> with very little cultural uh, amenities. It's a, it's a place where you have um, a number of mercenaries coming from in the ancient world, um, so, sort of a soldier state, um, but not a lot of other things are coming out of Crete. They were a great civilization. King Midas, who everything he touched turned to gold. The Minoan civilization that birthed the, uh, the flourishing of the sea peoples around the world. King, uh, all these great stories that come out of Crete are over and done with by this point. There's, a, there's popular proverbs about how lazy Cretans are. In fact, Cretan has come down to us as a way of saying someone that's not really smart, or um, it's not a word I use ever, but it is something that Paul quotes. Paul quotes that the Cretans are lazy. He quotes a poet saying the Cretans are lazy. Um, so this is like what people said about Crete. And this is the place that Timothy was, or Titus was called to. He was called to this place, not the flourishing uh, cultural mecca of the ancient world, but a place that had been through some hard times, probably suffering uh, from the trauma of mercenary life. These mercenaries that went out, these Cretan archers, as they're called, um, all through the ancient world, hiring themselves out, then coming home after making a little money, but probably not doing too well. Um, like many rural areas, even in our country, where the only job that really is available to people is joining the military. They go away, they join, they come back to that hometown, often worse off than when they left. Um, so this is the cycle of um, Cretan life that Titus plunges himself into and leads, leads the church there. And he, he, he's much more organized with Titus than he is with Timothy. Timothy is all about his dear child in the faith. Paul has obviously spent time in, in Lois and Eunice's house. He probably stayed there for months, weeks, who knows how long. He knows them. He loves them. He's part of the family. Titus is a little different. Um, he's more like a soldier in Paul's army, and Paul is a general. He tells him to get out there, get the work done, and appoint elders in every city. You can see already that Timothy is not just a local church planter, but he's a bishop. 
He is someone that is overseeing elders all over uh, Crete. Elder is the word presbyter. It comes down to us if you get to be my age when you your doctor says you have presbyopia, old man eyes, and you need those special glasses. Um, presby, presbyterus, pres, presbyterian, elder, um, old person um, is literally what the word meant, but it was used for Jewish leaders in the Sanhedrin and other places uh, for leader. So elder, leader, um, makes sense in most societies around the world. Elders are given leadership or counseling, mentoring roles. And so we don't know how old Titus is, um, but he's not that old. And he's already appointing elders um, in all these other places. He is his Paul's loyal child in the faith. So he's definitely younger than Paul. And this is what he does. So this organization of the church is something that is still carried on by our Episcopal Church. We try to keep the threefold orders of ministry, bishops, priests, and deacons in place that was kept, that was started around this time in the church. Obviously, there's lots of other ways to, to organize churches, but this is the, the seems to be the pattern from these early days that we try to preserve in this way. Not saying that we have it completely right or that it's the only way, but it's the way that we and those who came before has, us have done. But I love in both of these stories that this is relational. What Paul has done with these two people is built a relationship. And that's something I, um, probably not my strongest suit in life is building relationships with people. But I've found it to be the most wonderful thing about being a church planter is getting to know people and getting to hear stories and getting to hear your stories and getting to, to experience life with you. Um, that is the greatest joy of these last three years, probably beyond anything uh, else that has happened. Because that is ultimately what, what the ministry Jesus called us to do. That's what it is. And that has been the, the best thing about this, this, um, this work that um, God's called me to as a, uh, as a child of St. Paul as well. Paul has uh, inspired me in his uh, zeal for the gospel. And even as he writes from prison to these two mentees, these two young people that he's mentored, um, he is passing on his wisdom and his faith to them and to us, because we are part of this church planning legacy that Paul started. Um, the churches that Paul planted are still there. They're still there in many ways. They've morphed and changed over the years, but um, they're still there. And, and he did most of his pastoring remotely from a distance, as these uh, Timothy and Titus attest to. Um. And the collect for Timothy and Titus. Almighty God, you called Timothy and Titus to be evangelists and teachers and made them strong to endure hardship. Strengthen us to stand fast in adversity and to live godly and righteous lives in this present time, that with sure confidence we may look for our blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.